vengeance. I am the knight. I am... Matt Laswitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on the big board. That's creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, what's going on? Uh, Matt, I feel like with this show, we get to celebrate holidays twice because we record the episodes for the holidays and then we record the week of the holidays. It's the night before Thanksgiving. I've been on break this week, so it's been uh, lots of rest and relaxation tonight. Went out with my friends and let me tell you this. You got a Whole Foods uh, in your area? Yeah, right next to or right in the same plaza as a delightful bargain book outlet that gets some graphic novels that I just love going through. And it's like, oh, hey, that book is normally $25 and here it's eight. I will. Nice. So let me tell you a secret. At least I don't know. This is probably not all Whole Foods because, of course, laws will will differ in in various uh, jurisdictions. But at the Whole Foods here, you can just buy beer and drink it there. I don't know if that is like that here in Jersey. I know it's probably not in Pennsylvania because Pennsylvania is all sorts of crazy with its liquor laws, but I would not be surprised if that was possible here in New Jersey. Tonight, the the pub run was from uh, from Whole Foods, uh, and uh, we sat around and uh, drank beer and ate pizza. Uh, it was fantabulous. And a good time was had by all. Indeed. Tonight was just a lazy night around the house. Me and Amber and Bess. Bess says attention must be paid, and that means she must get pets. Wow. And you you don't want to be driving around here. We're close enough to Philadelphia that the traffic is just a nightmare. I I really just was like batting down the hatches, and I'll I'll go out again on, well, even Friday ain't going to be great, but it'll be better than you know, tonight and tomorrow. But we're not here to talk about traffic. We're here to talk about comic books. This is not a traffic podcast. That would be a terrible podcast. There's one thing that no one likes is traffic. But no, this is about comic books. And this week, this is an, uh, a sort of interestingly boutique little episode. Because not too long ago, I was talking to a friend of the show and guest Josh Wheel. And Josh mentioned that our youngest fan, his son Alexander, has a favorite comic. And that's one of the books we're doing tonight. And since that book also sort of factors in with something else I'd wanted to do, tonight's theme is alternate slash future versions of Will's favorite character, Damian Wayne. My absolute favorite. I love Damian. He's the best. Well, you got to say this. There was a point where Damien might have been the bottom of the barrel, but now there's Ghost Maker. So. Uh, our shitty anime friend, Ghost Maker, who some people like, but also some people have brain damage. Fortunately, there aren't really enough stories to do a Ghost Maker episode anytime soon. I'll fucking shoot you in your fucking face, Matt. That's a Patreon request, okay? I'm not <laughs> I'm not going there. I'm not going there anytime soon. Although we, uh, would, we would get to cover Zdarsky's the night. So I could also just have diarrhea. I mean, we could we could cover the night anyway. I'm not saying we have we have to have a special ghost maker episode. 
there's any number of stories about Batman's training that that could be a part of. Uh, did did that series wrap? Yeah, yeah. It wrapped. Did we cover on, the end of it? Uh no. It wrapped on one of the weeks where my comics were all janked up, and I okay. didn't get it until okay. weeks later. I I didn't remember covering the end of that. Maybe we should get around to covering the end of that. We we, we should because because yeah. we covered all them other issues. Yeah, yeah. We we will get to that. But but again, that is, is not tonight. Uh, tonight, our first story is Batman in Bethlehem. This is Batman Volume 1, number 666. The writer is Grant Morrison, with pencils by Andy Kubert, inks by Jesse Delperdang, colors by Guy Major, letters by Jared K. Fletcher, and edited by Janine Schaefer and Mike Martz. The cover date is July of 2007. The apocalypse is here. The Antichrist, the third Batman, has risen, and he is going to destroy Gotham and with it the world, and only Damian Wayne, the Batman of the future, can stop him. So this is the next story in Grant Morrison's epic Batman run. And once we've covered this, we're now have closed the loop because the next arc is Club of Heroes. So from here on out, we'll be able to cover the Morrison run pretty much in order with the only thing we've done f- further down the line is uh, the first arc of Batman and Robin. This is obviously from the description a one-off and it is set 15-ish years in the future with Damien and adults in a fallen Gotham. And this is another one of these stories where Morrison is just throwing crazy ideas at the wall in that it is the first appearance of a whole bunch of characters who will pop up in more detail later on. You see a lot of the rogues that Morrison will introduce over the course of their run first appear here in one or two panels. There's a lot going on here. Yes. There's a lot of symbology here. There's references to the title is a reference to the second coming, the poem, you know, things fall apart. The center cannot hold one of those poems that is quoted in comic books a whole lot. Uh, the Yates poem. And that's why in Bethlehem because and uh, what rough beasts newly born sloths or, had sloughed away towards Bethlehem to be born. Uh, I did not get that quote precisely right, but that's where we're going here because this is Damien fighting the the third Batman. Because we've we've read uh, the the previous two issues where we met the second Batman, the the Bane like Batman, and this is the first time we see the third Batman, the one we've yet to run across, and here he is firmly the antichrist there's a lot of religious symbology a lot of discussions of the devil and there's references to selling one's soul at the crossroads which of course goes back further but for me always is you know robert johnson this is this is way too heady discussion for me matt okay (laughs) so so you just want to go into the you know Damien fighting this dude and the first appearance of Professor Pig, the Flamingo, Phosphorus Rex, and a whole bunch of other characters that we've encountered later on. Refresh me on these on these three Batman. 
I I am not immediately recalling the first. The first Batman is the gun-toting Batman, the one who shot the Joker in the head at the beginning of Batman and Son. Okay. And then he he appears, and then we get Batman and Son, and then Clown at Midnight, and then the second Batman shows up, the the alpha male Batman, alpha male plus uh, that Batman. And now here we are, the next issue after that, with the third Batman, the Antichrist. Certainly a lot of ambition for Morrison. I, I will respect them for that. Oh, yeah. And all of this is building. That's why I realized we need to start doing this run in order, because by the time you get to Batman R.I.P. with 676, if you haven't read everything leading up to that, you stand no chance of getting what they are laying down in Batman R.I.P. I feel like before we start Batman R.I.P., I'm going to have to go back and reread everything in order to get to that point. I, I might do that again myself because I've read this run a couple times, but there's a lot. And Morrison is playing three dimensional chess with this run. There's all kinds of things going on. And I probably should have read this issue multiple times and taken multiple times worth of notes and or read annotations. I am barely appreciating this on some minimal level, but I get, I do respect the ambition. I think there is more artistry to this than I'd say most of your more recent Batman runs. And this issue, if you pull out of the macro view and just kind of go into it on a micro, it's maybe adventure story. It's a pretty typical Silver Age Batman story with this modern gloss put on it. I mean, this is, you know, somebody's killing mob bosses and Batman has to stop them. And, oh, it's an evil Batman who's trying to destroy the city. When you say it that way, it's a pretty simple story. It's all the stuff that Morrison adds on. The weirdness of the other villains, the satanic symbolism, the discussion of the symbology of the pentagram that makes it hyper weird. And the fact that you've got Damien at the heart of it and not Bruce. And a Damien who admits to having sold his soul to the devil to protect Gotham, to do the thing that Bruce never would. But he has a cat. Yes, he does. Alfred the cat, who will appear in the present during the Kamasi Gleason Batman and Robin, when Damien is kind of collecting pets. Because you'll see that at that point, Damien gets, he gets Alfred the cat, he gets Titus, the Great Dane, and Bat-Cow. Of course. And uh, Alfred is a uh, tuxedo cat. So that's, that's a nice touch. Yes. That's one of those things where I've always enjoyed that little touch that I'm fairly certain it was Morrison, where Morrison, for all of Damien's curmudgeonliness and his bad with people, Damien loves animals. And he collects this sort of retinue of bat pets. And I think that's a nice touch. And it's, it's one of those, it's literally a save the cat moment. 
figuratively when it comes to bat cow because he's saving the cow from the slaughterhouse but hey this kid isn't all that bad because hey he loves animals bat cow bat cow which comes from the tiny titans the kids comic where they introduce bat cow as a gag and then morrison being morrison takes this thing from this weird little separate universe and brings it into dc continuity because their holistic view of batman that all these stories take place somewhere we also see barbara as commissioner here which feels like a little bit of a nod to batman beyond but also this is when barbara is firmly in the oracle role barbara is still in a wheelchair here this is before the new 52 when it would have felt unthinkable for Barbara to walk again. And we, I mean, the hotel where the, the final battle between Batman, Damien Batman and the devil Batman takes place is the, the Bethlehem hotel. And it's the devil Batman attacking uh, a climate change conference because it, he's, he believes himself to be the beast of the apocalypse. So it's, there's a so much biblical symbology. I kind of wish we had a Patreon supporter, friend of the show, Robert Secundus, to help walk us through some of this Bible stuff. Bobby, two bucks. This is a very Morrison story. And it's one of these things where Morrison can pull this off, I feel like, because under, again, underneath all those weird trappings is a fairly simple story that they're adding all of this stuff to. Also, this is one of, I think, one of Kubert's best issues on this book because he gets to cut loose and he gets to redesign Batman because Damien is not wearing the traditional costume. He gets to design the devil Batman and all of these villains who their looks will be tinkered with when they appear in the present 15 years sooner but his creation of Professor Pig and his Dolotrons, of the Flamingo, this is where they first appear. This is a good-looking uh, alternate Batman. Got the, the big collar, the duster look. Uh, it's nice. It is. And Damien, with the, the shaved head and such, he... With the scars. Yeah, he's recognizably Damien. But you can see that the year, what the years have done to him. And he does not appear out of costume, out of cowl much. And he's one of these characters where I kind of picture Damien not... Damien doesn't have a life, it feels like. Damien is Batman all the time. There isn't a Bruce Wayne moment for him. I think one of our other stories uh, says that pretty pretty well. Yeah. I also like that we get this kind of two-page origin of Batman at the beginning, which was similar to things that were being done in 52 at the time. At the back of each issue of 52, there was a two-page short by a that was an origin of one of the heroes of the DC universe. And I'm saying that now by... This might we might have been out of 52 and into countdown. We're still they were doing it. It was just the origins of villains. But here we get this two page thing that hints at some of the stuff that we haven't seen yet, because, again, Damien has barely appeared at this point where after Batman and Son, 
And so we've seen him in Batman and Son and Talia, you know, putting him back together during that other two-parter. But this is our first real hints that Damien has a heroic future, even if it's one where his ends justify his means. And he is very much not an ally of the GCPD here. Barbara is waiting for Damien to break bad. Barbara acts like she doesn't even know who he is, at least in terms of his identity. I wonder if that is because she's in front of the other cops. That's how I take that. Mm. That she can't admit that she knows the Bat family's identity. That would make sense. I mean, and there's one reference about Damien being responsible for the death of a good friend, which I tend to believe was Dick. Because Damien says at one point here that Dick was Batman for a time, too. Because Bruce dies when Damien is 14. So that's only a few years into the future. And so we know that this timeline breaks after RIP. But at this point, something similar to the current timeline happened. Oh, I also have all the other villains. I forgot to mention this is the first appearance of Jack and Apes. The clown-themed ape villain who has appeared a bunch in... He's appeared in the backups for the current run of Joker. Him and uh, Gaggy. Always dying. Yep. They killed Gaggy! The bastards! A good, unreliable narrator. And is there a more unreliable narrator than the Joker? I submit to you, there is not. I think I don't think I have much else here. I mean, other than if we I mean, we could break out annotations and again, go deep down a rabbit hole of all of the symbology and things that Morrison is using here. I Oh, I, I do like I do like that Damien admits that he's not as good a Batman as either Bruce or Dick. So he has to cheat. I was just looking at that. Yeah. And that he's booby trapped all of the major buildings in Gotham, figuring eventually somebody's going to rob them or try to blow them up. So he'll take them out using his traps, which is a very Morrison take on Batman that planning four steps ahead Batman, regardless of which Batman it is. Do we ever learn the identities of these Batman? Yes. We, well, the third Batman specifically. The first two Batman were kind of done with, but the third Batman we will very specifically learn his identity over the course of the balance of Morrison's run and into battle of the cowl battle for the cowl. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I I won't, I will say no more, but he becomes the character. The third Batman is the only one who really has any more depth to his character than the other two who are just sort of cannon fodder. The antichrist Batman. You, you do you, Morrison. <laughs> well, I think that means it's time to put Batman number 666 on the big board. <laughs> okay. We are well on our way to 200 stories. As a matter of fact, right now we're at 192. My goodness, that's three episodes away. Yes. Counting this one. The top story on the big board is and remains Batman Year One, the post credits. Still good. Yes. Down at number 50 is Batman Black and White Volume 3, the most recent volume of Black and White. And coming in at a sexy 69, it's Batman Legends of the Dark Knight Special Madness. 
down at number 100 is Ghosts. Legend of the Dark Knight Halloween special number three. 150 is Grounded, the first issue of the Batman Beyond ongoing. And all the way down to the bottom. Hey, look, it's Batman White Knight. So right now, the highest Morrison from this run that we have is 119, the clown at midnight. I would not put this above clown at midnight. Clown at midnight is like a very good example of a monkey astronaut. Like it's weird. It's ambitious. It doesn't quite pay off, but like you admire the the attempt. You know, again, I think if you come to DC editorial and you're like, I want to do a prose Batman, they'd be like, get the fuck out. Just shut the fuck up. You're fired. Get out of here, Tom King. We're not doing a prose Batman. Shut up. So, yeah, I respect it. But, you know, we we certainly talked about that and how it's just eh, it's got some spots. The the art is the real issue on that one. I think with different art that would have easily cracked the top 100. Yeah, still a visual medium. Come on. Okay, so then 120. So the next, we got Batman and Son a few slots lower at 126. I still don't think this goes above that. I think Batman and Son is... I love a lot of the things that are done in Batman and Son. I think it is historically more important as it is the first appearance of Damien. It's got that great fight at the museum using the pop art comic book panels as sound effects in the background. I think that is a really cool issue. We're not going much lower though. No. I mean, we got club of heroes at one forty one, Right. And then three goes to Batman, the next arc at one forty four. So the Morrison is all settling in around that area. I think this is going to fall right in the right around the 130 area. It's definitely better than 135 Young Justice Origins. I would always be inclined to put stuff above Detective Comics 824 because Paul Dini shouldn't be allowed to get away with working out his uh, misogyny in comic books. You know what? I think we might put it, I think above overdrive, I think it might go in at 128. Below Works for me. Everyone loves Ivy. Okay, so that one Batman in Bethlehem is our new 128. Okay. Our next story, and, and here's another one of these buckle up, folks. We've got a digital first comic, so these credits are gonna go on for a while. Oh boy. Is deceased. Hope at World's End. This is that series, issues 1 through 15. The writer is Tom Taylor, with pencils by Dustin Nguyen, Renato Guedes, Carmine Giandomenico, Marco Fela, Carl Mostert, Danielle Di Nicolo, and John Somarvia. Inks are, most of the artists ink themselves, except for Mostert, who is inked by Trevor Scott. Colors by Rex Locus, letters by Saida Timofante, and edited by Ben Abernathy. Uh, Cover dates are May to December of 2020. As the anti-life equation slowly turns more and more people, the heroes of Earth make a last stand to save the few remaining living humans from the army of the dead. 
Can they find a way to prove that there is hope left? Let me jump in here and say that this was really confusing for me as someone who had read the first story and then kind of admired it and thought it was cool and then left it alone. And I had no idea where this volume is in continuity with the uh, the first story. Because at the end of the first story, like we are abandoning planet Earth. Batman and Superman are dead. And it's very weird to see Soup's very much alive in this volume. Yeah, this fits somewhere towards the end of that series. But it's been a while since I read Deceased. And I think, yeah, I, I can't tell you exactly where it fits in that story. It's it's just a it's a weird approach. Like it's trying to dance in between the raindrops and it's also retelling some stuff and just like some pieces. Like you see Batman, you know, dying again as a sort of a refresher. So I mean, this is like a weird sequel prequel thing. I, I again it's not a bad read. I just like I was very surprised at trying to piece this together with the first one. And I will say that despite the those voluminous credits that I gave, while some of the art here I like more than other, there is nothing here that is the dregs that is injustice. Oh, absolutely not. It's still not the consistency you'd want. There are still some visual shifts in terms of tone, but on a as a whole, it does hold up much better than injustice and it's not the sort of thing that kind of makes you feel embarrassed on the part of a major publisher that's partially because this is part of a franchise that they knew people were reading versus injustice where it was like eh, it's a video game tie-in let's just get this thing out what could what could one banana cost michael some of those artists that I mentioned only draw one chapter. They're there for some of these very specific side side quest chapters. Like DJ Dominico, who drew the knight and who is drawing Joker, does the Wally West chapter, which I like because I'm a big fan of Wally West. And there's a, a great side chapter with the various super pets. And Detective Chimp, because even though he's an animal, he is no one's pet. Not susceptible to the virus. Right. That's one of those things that, since I haven't read a lot of the, the later stuff set in this world, feels like it should be something that comes back around. But I kind of wonder if it's just there as like, hey, fun little fact, animals don't get the anti-life equation. Well, the first volume ends with the disclosure that there's a cure out there. And that just goes nowhere in this volume. But again, the overlap is such that we don't catch up to the end of the first story. There's two other volumes aside from there's the first volume. There's Unkillables. There's Dead Earth or Dead Planet. There's this Dead one. Planet. Yeah. Dead Planet. There's this one. And then the final volume is running now in individual issues. 
So there are Batman in each of them. So we will get to all of them at some point or another. But this one, this was the story that was specifically called out as one of Alexander's favorites or Alexander's favorite, because this is where Damien, we see Damien become Batman in this story. A wee tiny little Batman. Which is kind of fun to see, you know, a 15-year-old Batman. So small. So small. I think I've said this before on the podcast, but I'm going to once again sort of circle back to it as a thought. Tom Taylor, as a writer, gets a lot of crap from critics for his oversimplification of complex social issues in runs on things like Nightwing and Superman, Son of Kal-El and X-Men Red. He's probably at his best when he's doing things like this, where he's not dealing with those kind of issues and is instead just basically doing gonzo comics. Yeah. And this is not altogether dissimilar from injustice. It's an altering universe he gets to decide who lives and who dies. This is just a big, bold zombie story. You know, it's, you know, you read Marvel zombies, you get the general sense of deceased. It's not anything all that different or groundbreaking, but it's fun. Like it's, it's big screen uh, action comics. Um, it's got some, some interesting beats in it, but you know, I feel like nothing is, groundbreaking nothing is revolutionary i probably liked the first volume a bit more than this one uh i thought the first one had a story that hung together a bit better but talking about damien specifically like he's got a nice arc here he really does the damien stuff is probably the strongest bit of this aside from those little short chapters that are asides that sort of tell a quick in and out sort of story that you watch Damien process his grief. You watch him step up. You watch him become less of a little shit. (laughs) And there's a few people I know who are big Talia Al Ghul people. Talia is written very broadly in this series. She is almost comic relief in how almost gleefully homicidal she is until the very end. Well, that's that's part of what you get in um, in the the Tom Taylor alternate universes. Like there are so many characters, there's so much action. You don't spend a lot of time on any one particular character. Like there's not a lot of emotional investment with with any of these guys like they they get moments right when when they die when they when they make some sacrifice or when they turn obviously in deceased it's not the same sort of treacheries we see in injustice but you get little moments here and there they're not they're not intellectual books i'll say that like superman punching joker through the heart that's not a real intellectual beat, right? It is just like, oh, fuck, yeah. Uh, Renee Montoya smacking the shit out of Superman with the Washington Monument is not an intellectual beat. Like, it's just a cool-ass fucking thing that happens, 
and Tom Taylor got got the chance to write it. The Pied Piper skewering the anti-life equation nightshade through the eye with his flute. Again, that is a, a visual, but it, you're not winning an Eisner for uh, Pied Piper killing nightshade. No. And, and and I'll say that one of the, the, the thoughts I kept having while reading this and through all of these action scenes with all of these uh, blighted, as they're called here, you're not you're not making me believe that everybody is not coming down with the zombie virus because <laughs> uh, all of these bodily fluids passing around and you, you're still selling me on the idea that it takes a scratch or uh, or a bite. Man, Superman is just like. Well, to be fair, like the story beat is he is purposefully like not vaporizing these guys because he thinks that they can be saved, which, again, the first story gets into. But we forget here. But, uh, yeah, everybody is is getting infected. I don't I don't care what you tell me. This is also a far more charitable take on Wonder Woman than in Injustice. Oh, well, you you couldn't be worse. To, uh, to Wonder Woman than, than uh, Injustice, that's for sure. I was glad to see Diana not written as the homicidal and manipulative character that she is in Injustice. The fascist consort? Yeah, that's it's a step up. I like the, the relationship that is built between Damien Batman and Stephanie Brown Robin. And I wish we had had more time with that. There's a lot of time in here spent with the Airy and Wink, who are characters that Taylor created on his Suicide Squad run. And they're pet characters of his. So we spend a lot of time with characters that Taylor loves and I'm sure have a cult following. But they're fine. I would. It's it's cool to see them, and it would have been nice to spend some time with them. But there's a lot of pages for those characters that could have been given to flesh out some of the other characters. Yeah, that's uh, that's another signature of the Tom Taylor uh, stories. You get into the back bench, and you're like, "Can we move this along, please?" Credit Taylor did create. Uh, the Airy, who's one of the few non-binary characters in the big two. So props there. Very good point. But at the same time, th- those are characters that they're, they're just they're pet characters. And I would have liked some more time with Damien and Steph. I would have liked some more time with the Pied Piper and Captain Singh. Because at the end, you kind of do really feel when it looks like Wink is going to be lost and the Airy comes to the rescue. It's like, okay, we've spent enough time with them to really have some kind of investment. We've barely spent any time with Piper and Sing. I have an investment because I like those characters from The Flash. But if you haven't read any of their appearances elsewhere... You're not bringing anything. Mm-hmm. At least with characters like Superman, like Wonder Woman, like Damien, even John Kent, and maybe Cassie Sandsmark, Wonder Girl, the general reader who's reading Deceased has a feel for who those characters are from elsewhere in the DC universe. You have to be a, a Flash fan to have 
any investment in Pied Piper and Captain Singh. And so without that, you, you really kind of wonder if there could have been more time spent developing them. And the same sort of with Talia. I mean, as I said, Talia is very broad. Talia just likes to talk about cutting people's heads off. That's what she does for pretty much the entire book. You know, I can't remember if this was broached in um, in the first book, but the idea that uh, Themyscira takes on survivors, I would have liked to have seen that play out. I would like to have seen that argument. That would have been a nice beat to examine and think about because I'm sure I'm sure some of the Amazonians had, you know, maybe different thoughts. There are isolationist factions on Themyscira. So it that would have been something. And again, maybe it's in one of the other volumes. Because I think Unkillables also takes place before Earth is abandoned. So there might be stuff in there too. But I haven't read Unkillables. Someday. I swear to God, I swear to God, this is like the fucking Saw franchise. That's like, okay, you thought you thought Saw was dead, but turns out this is going to be a flashback that he all set up and all took care of and made that happen. But yeah, I think in the idea with the uh, Unkillables is like uh, it's the zombie apocalypse from the perspective of the villains. Yeah, I believe it, and I think Jason might be a part of that book so it has at least some bat characters involved that was a a darkly comedic moment in this story uh they go to the bat cave and they see the graves for batman tim and alfred right uh dick dick yeah alfred's still alive yeah and uh damien says oh yeah jason did that because uh, Bruce's headstone is something like father, mentor, bastard, I think. Yes. And Dick is the one who got to grow up. And I think Tim is the best of us. Yeah. Cassandra. Cassandra and Jason are in Unkillables. Those seem like headstones that Jason would, would craft together. Oh, yeah. One of the best you know, I'm commenting on how broad Talia is in this, but one of the best character beats is Talia's final moment when she is taken Stephanie, who was killed by a sort of stray blast from a possessed black manta. And she's going to take her to the last Lazarus pit to resurrect her. And her comment to Damien, which I should have written down the exact quote, but it's something to the effect of my father only showed me love by hurting those who wronged me. I realize that this is also something I do and I need to change that. So her learning and growing to show Damien love through an act of charity and kindness is a good bit of growth and works with the version of Talia that was sort of wandering around the DC universe in the aftermath of Morrison. Talia is a character who has been written remarkably inconsistently over the course of the past 15 years or so. So it's nice to see her treated more generously at the end here as well. It really speaks to me in the idea of uh, generational trauma in that so much abuse and neglect is passed on 
through the generations. And it just takes it takes one link in that chain to sort of stop and recognize that, no, I can be better than that. I don't have to treat my children the same way that I was treated. So that's that's good. That's nice growth. Well, I didn't mention. Uh, yeah, this whole thing is narrated by Jimmy Olsen, uh, which, yeah, I mean, Jimmy's an everyman. So doing the everyman and the apocalypse thing is a pretty standard trope. But we also get a for all of his faults of other some of the other characters. Taylor writes a delightful Lex Luthor, whether it's here or in Injustice or the work he's doing in the main DCU in Son of Kal-El. His Luthor is such an arrogant dick. This is exactly how Luthor should be written. Uh, yeah. Uh, his uh, his plot within plots. I don't think I have anything else here. Uh, I don't have anything. So that means it's time to put deceased hope at world's end on the big board. Okay, so let's see. Injustice Gods Among Us Volume 1 is at 115. The story is stronger, but the art is much worse. Yes. But I think we are generally in the right area. Yes. I think this this goes above definitely goes above volume two of Injustice. The question is, does it go above volume one? They're within a hair's breadth of each other. They're at 115 and 121. So again, that art to me is so wretched, is so embarrassing. I would put this above Injustice Volume One. Yeah, I mean, and again, I think we get a really good view of a Damien who is trying to be better, to try to embrace the mantle of his father and be a hero. We got a great scene that we didn't talk about between Superman and him, as Superman talks to him about what it means to be Batman and what Bruce's faith in Damien means. So if we're above 115. But uh, not not leaps and bounds above 115. Like I this does not be judgment on Gotham, Batman Judge Dredd at 107. No. no. One ten one eleven. Uh we got so 109 is Scooby-Doo team up from a few weeks ago. 110 is The Misfits, the Alan Grant, Tim Sales story with Chancer and Killer Moth and the, the villains kidnapping Bruce Wayne. And 111 is The Mud Pack. I think we're somewhere in that area. I'd say below Misfits, above Mud Pack, new 111. Sounds good to me. And... To quote Monty Python, now for something completely different. Our final story is Convergence. This is The Kingdom, Son of the Bat, number one. The writer is Mark Wade, with pencils by Brian Apthrop, inks by Mark Farmer, colors by Rob Rowe, letters by Ken Lopez, and edited by Dan Raspler. Cover date is February of 1999. Ibn al-Zufash, the son of Batman and Talia, gathers three of the greatest criminal minds in history to try to find a way to save the world from a timeline-ending event. Betrayals abound, as Ibn must come to terms with who he is and stay one step ahead of his erstwhile allies. All right, so 
I know Kingdom Come. I read Kingdom Come. It's been a while, but I read it. What's the relationship here? And I take it this is another one of those events with a thousand different tie-ins and one-offs. Actually, this only is seven issues. It was a fifth week event. It mm-hmm. was one of those times where there's five Wednesdays. So back in the day, as opposed to spreading out the books over the course of those weeks, DC would put out the normal four weeks of books like they do. And then that fifth week would be a bunch of specials, a bunch of one shots tied together by some event. So the kingdom number one came out on a fourth week. There were five one shots on the fifth week. And Kingdom number two came out the first week of the following month. And this was a sequel to Kingdom Come. This was Wade returning to that universe X number of years later with a conquering villain called Gog, who was related to Magog of Kingdom Come, traveling through different timelines and killing Superman. And it became the introduction of DC's concept of hypertime which we can avoid talking about because hypertime <laughs> makes people all cross-eyed. Oh, it was no. a way to have alternate Earths without having alternate Earths in that time when DC didn't want to have alternate Earths. It was a thing and was recently referenced in the Flashpoint Beyond miniseries from Jeff Johns, Boo, and far- various other creators. So Ibn al-Zufash is not technically Damien. He is in that he's an alternate version of the son of Batman and Talia. In the world of Kingdom Come, Son of the Demon happened. So he's literally the kid from Son of the Demon. Okay. So this is that. And he appears in Kingdom Come as part of Luthor's little round table of villains. Because he's taking Raish's spot. Because as we see... Speaking of uh, generational trauma, <laughs> uh, yeah, for all the shit that Raish and Talia do to Damien in the you know Earth Prime, he got nothing on what poor Ibn has to go through. And then again, Ibn eventually gets his revenge, pulling an Osiris on Raish al Ghul. Yeah, I think he gives it to uh, all three of these guys here. Yeah, because Ibn is basically teaming up with Luthor, Brainiac, and Raish to try to find some way to avoid this event that's going to rewrite the timeline. And so he's got them, and it becomes, you know, one of those wheels within wheels, villain plots against villain plots things, which makes for a fun story. But this is not our meatiest episode. No, uh, but I do enjoy how Eben is usually one step ahead of all these guys. And he he brings them back. He resurrects them, sometimes physically putting them back together with some kind of hold over them, right? He puts Brainiac in a Superman android body that has a kill switch. Uh, this is where I get lost a little bit, but uh, he brings Lex Luthor back as a baby. And says, hey, I can turn you back into a baby at any time. Uh, and then, you know, he resurrects uh, his peepaw uh, and says, like, oh, you know, I can kill you at any time, peepaw. So watch yourself. Great final battle between Raish and Ibn as they fight through the Batcave and wind up having their final sword fight. 
on top of the head of the T-Rex. That is a great visual. That is using your setting in the best way possible. And we also, we spend some time getting to know Ibn because this is all told sort of in flashback as Ibn is telling his therapist about this. Who is also the president's therapist? Yeah, I'd have to go back and reread the rest of this event to remember if that is at all significant. But I got to say, any member of the Batman family going to therapy, that's a step in the right direction. The therapist better clear their calendar, though. Jeez. Yeah. The son of Batman going to therapy, even a son of Batman who was not really raised around Batman. Frankly, the guy who's raised by the League of Assassins. There's a lot going on there. And there is a whole discussion as, you know, Raish and Ibn duel in a, you know, got a princess bride having the, the banter as they duel bit about Raish kind of coming around and pointing out that so much of Ibn's issues are him trying not to be Batman when he so clearly on some level wants to be Batman. Well, who wouldn't want to be Batman? And we get a little time with him and Nightstar, his girlfriend, who that's not at all weird. I almost was tempted to do the Nightstar one-off as well, because that tells a lot of this same period of time from her point of view. Like we get the same scene in both books, but uh, that's Dick Grayson's daughter dick and starfire's kid so there is dick is not at all pleased that his daughter is dating bruce's son that's just a little mm, no uh, bridge too far of weird for dick and i can't necessarily blame him on that one ibn is a fun character in that he is in many ways damien without the scruples like damien This is Damien if he grew up without Bruce's influence, if Talia didn't bring him to Bruce at the age of 10, and instead he was raised entirely by the League of Assassins. But still knowing that he's the son of Batman, and still wanting that legacy to some degree or another. I feel like I should have put another story or two in here because there's not a ton of meat on the bones of this one-off on its own. Because it's... Are there only four one-offs with the Kings? It's Nightstar, it's Son of the Bat, it's the Offspring, the Son of Plastic Man, it's Planet Krypton. That might be it. Maybe it's only four one-offs, plus the two bookends. Oh, Kid Flash. There's Kid Flash. Okay, I was right. Five. At some point, we'll have to do the, the rest of this, because Bruce factors more heavily into the bookend. We have Kingdom Come on the, the roster coming up soon. Yeah, actually, we have that coming up in a couple of weeks. Oof, finally. One of the major Elseworlds for our you know New Year's week Elsewhere or lead into New Year's Elseworlds episode. That, that's That's got to be our first Alex Ross we've covered. Yeah, I mean, he might have done a pinup or something, but... He hasn't done a ton. He did that, and he did the big Batman treasury, and he's, he's much more done much more in the way of Superman stuff than Batman stuff. Beautiful, beautiful work. Oh, yeah, especially Kingdom Come. I've 
I love Kingdom Come. I think we're going to have a short one tonight. Well, that's okay. They, they can't all be 90 minutes. And it's Thanksgiving. We've got to prepare for much turkey eating tomorrow. Well, if we're talking turkey, that must mean it's time to put the kingdom son of the bad on the big board. This isn't is by no means bad, but it's also by no means memorable. No. I think we're probably somewhere in the 140s, 150s amongst the stuff that's kind of like it's there. We I mean, earlier tonight we talked about Grounded, the Batman Beyond Volume Two, Number One, which was at 150 and is now down at 152. There's more to that than here, but I don't think it goes much lower than that. I'd put it above a Grim Knight in Gotham. Down, at I was about to say the same damn thing. Absolutely. So we're somewhere in between 152 and 157. How does 156 below Last Chance, the uh, telling of Dead Man's entire life story in the animated <laughs> series in one issue, but above Delta Connection, that one random Brave and the Bold where Catwoman has a sister who gets fridged right out of the gate? Yeah, the new 156 works for me. Okay, that looks like it does it for the night. Next week, it's Christmas time. So we are back with three more stories of the dark night at Christmas. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers, Dan Grote, June, Conduit of Outdated Joke Names, Jim Cameron, Josh Wheel, Mrs. Abigail Hartbaum, Asimov Fangirl, Tony Thornley, Sam Hopper, John Wickham, Robert Secundus, Bobby Two Bucks, Tim Rooney, and Giorgio Seragioli for their support. You can follow this podcast on Twitter, as long as it still exists, at Bat Chat Comics. And the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music slash Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes drop every Thursday. You can support the podcast on Patreon where you can get shout-outs, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three Cs, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLess1013. And I'm at Will Nevin. I'm also out of here. Good night, Huntsville, and have a happy Thanksgiving! And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat Roundup of New Bat Books, for my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.